We've got a guest speaker that is, I'm pleased to announce. He is, uh, uh, we, when we think of a missionary, we think of uh, preaching as much as anything else. He is a worker in God's kingdom. You would have to know about Cherokee to understand that uh, that, that work is a whole lot more than preaching and teaching. Uh, they, are, they are a resource to the Cherokee Nation there in North Carolina. They have, uh, they've helped with so many things and uh, have encouraged them. We've been working with uh, that congregation a little longer than, uh, than they have been there. But Jim and Debbie have been there for 17 years, as was mentioned. And uh, during that period of time, uh, they have kept uh, a segment of, of Christ's kingdom together help them with a lot of personal issues and, and help them to know the, the Lord better. And uh, Mark Hilliard has, uh, has worked with us, and I'd be remiss in not mentioning him because uh, he was instrumental in our being part of that work. And uh, we appreciate the privilege we've had to be a part of the work. And uh, we're thankful for Jim and Debbie and all that they do, especially uh, the things that they do that are so much beyond the typical call of a missionary. So... I'm pleased to see uh, Jim here, and we're glad to have him speak to us today. I can't remember the last time I was this nervous. Maybe it was when I was sitting around a table at Mark and Rosemary's little kitchen talking to Mike about coming to Cherokee. It's, uh, it's been a, a long ride. It's been a joyful ride. It's been a time of disappointment, a time of encouragement. But most of all, it's been a time to serve the Lord. Um, I know this is being live streamed, which is part of what makes me nervous. <laughs> I think I'd be more comfortable in the overflow room speaking to that size and have it broadcast out here. Uh, this is easily two or three hundred more folks than I've ever spoken in front of. But I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here. I'm going to talk to you this morning about John, the Gospel of John, the writer John. Uh, I hate to interrupt Randy's series of lessons on the names of Jesus, but... Um, I was asked to come and present a lesson, and later on in the adult combined, there's going to be a combined adult class, and we're going to talk about Cherokee, and I'll just, Debbie and I will both take questions, so that if you've got something you'd like to know about Cherokee, or why did this happen, or why did that happen, please feel free, and if I can't answer it, I won't make something up, I'll just tell you, I don't know. Now, if you would... This is a little old school, but open your Bibles. We've gotten used to PowerPoint and the scriptures all being displayed for us. And, and unfortunately, I'm not that old, I'm not that high tech. I'm kind of old school, and uh, so I ask folks to open their Bibles. Or I will tell you, you can pick your phone up and scroll through and find where we are. But we're going to be looking mostly at the first part of the Gospel of John. But first. I guess I have a question for you for something maybe you haven't considered because for a long time I'd never considered why a fourth gospel. The gospel of John is written a full 25 years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, if you've ever been in a congregation where the song leader comes up and wants to lead a new song, you might be one of the people who says, what's wrong with the old songs? Why do we need a new song? Well, perhaps people thought, why do we need a fourth gospel? What's wrong with Matthew, Mark, and Luke? They were written 
to the generation that knew Jesus, the generation that walked and talked with him, that likely heard him when he spoke, saw the miracles, saw him when he was crucified on the cross. John's gospel is written to the next generation. 25 years passes, and a lot happens in 25 years. When you've been married for 25 years, things are way different than they were when they started, aren't they? If you've worked somewhere 25 years, you're probably thinking about, do I have enough time to retire? Depending on what your job is, sometimes you've already had a chance. You've had 20 years in, and you get a chance to retire. Um, Randy and I were, were talking beforehand. I've just begun my 17th year, so Mike kind of exager- exaggerated a little bit. Um, and he started here about the same time. We got another eight years to go before 25 years passes. So I want you to get in your mind an idea of what 25 years is. 25 years ago, when I was 40 years old, I was still playing softball. And my son, who at the time was about 12, came to watch me play in a game. And and I, I had a great day. I hit three home runs, and they walked me with the bases loaded so that I wouldn't hit a fourth home run. He doesn't remember that. But it happened. John writes to a generation of people who maybe don't remember that. Maybe didn't get a chance to really believe what their parents not only believed but saw. So the children and the grandchildren are who John, I believe, is writing his gospel to. Now about John personally, we we think of his gospel as one of the most loving books in the Bible. I love 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Revelation scares most people, but don't be scared. If you're one of those people that pulls out a book, a brand new book, and you read the last chapter before you start the beginning, don't be afraid of Revelation, because when you get towards the last part of uh, Revelation, you realize God wins. Nobody else wins. God wins. So don't be scared of Revelation. It's got a lot of you know, fireworks and and graphic things, and, and you look at it, and it's kind of scary, but the truth is, we are the children of God. We are Christians. And if we are, we have nothing to fear, because God wins. John, early in his life with his brother James, are known as the Sons of Thunder. If you and your brother had the nicknames the Sons of Thunder... People probably crossed the street when you were coming. They may have had a, oh man, I remember what this kid did a couple of weeks ago and I haven't recovered from it yet. That man, one of the sons of thunder, became one of the most loving writers of the New Testament. You don't think Jesus can change people's lives? Look at the sons of thunder that said, let's call down fire and brimstone and destroy this town in Samaria because they won't let us stay here. And there's times I think that Jesus must have wiped his forehead and said, you guys just not getting it. In fact, he said, how long must I be with this crooked generation? If you don't understand this parable, how will you understand anything? Jesus, I'm sure, was frustrated at times, but he knew the men that these men were going to grow into and become. And he patiently taught them and led them by example and by word and by deed. 
He was perhaps Jesus' closest friend. If you'll remember that on the cross, Mary was there. Jesus' mother Mary was there at the cross. And I, I remind people this on Mother's Day, that the last thing Jesus did was to make sure his mom was taken care of. He looks down at John and looks at Mary and he says, Son, your mother, mother, your son. And from that day forward, John took her into his house. You might think, well, that's unusual. Jesus had other brothers. We know that. But John was there. And Jesus knew that John would care for her. So, in 85 AD, 20 or 25 years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke have been written, John sets out to pen a different gospel. If you were to look at a harmony of the gospels, and they do harmonize. Let's not, let's not think of the gospels as being in disharmony. But you'll see Matthew, Mark, and Luke with lots and lots and lots of same, same references and a big blank space in that column where John is. John writes different things. Why? Well, why repeat what's already been written? Why write Matthew, Mark, and Luke all over again? So when he sets out to pen his gospel to people who don't know that Jesus really was real, he starts from a different angle, from a different perspective. If you look in, in the 20th chapter, he writes, he says, I'm writing these things to you that you might believe. That's the theme of his gospel. Now, I'm pretty sure that nobody in this room is old enough to have been in the first century church. He's writing to us as much as he's writing to the generation that's coming after Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel. When he writes, Jesus is gone. The church has been established. The church is growing. We know from some of Paul's writings that the church in some ways is going in the wrong direction. And he's trying to bring them back with his letters and with his teaching. John is writing to the people that will carry the first century church into the second century. And so he makes it his business with the gospel, with 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, with Revelation. He makes it his business to let these people know what direction we need to go, who Jesus was, that he was real, and that you need to believe in him. And for us today, that's, that's no less important. If your belief in Christ is based on your parents' or grandparents' belief, you didn't really see him, or you didn't really watch the church grow, or you didn't just fill in the blank, you need to examine the scriptures, examine your own faith, your own belief, because your belief in Jesus Christ needs to be your belief, not your parents, not your grandparents. For me to believe what I believe, I know that I have grown significantly from the time I first stepped forward like the young man this morning, we want you to know that we're your family. We want to help you. We want to help guide you. We want to mentor you. You know, when a, when a woman conceives a child after carrying it for nine months, she doesn't just lay it in the field and say, call if you need anything. When we have new Christians, whether they've grown up in Christian homes or whether they're new converts, Newly people that have come to the Lord and studied and said, I want to be a Christian. We need to help mentor them. And not in, a, not in a controlling way, but in a way that helps to guide them in the right direction. 
I think it was Paul that several times said it. it <laughs> I know that I've written, to this, written this before and it doesn't hurt to repeat it because it's for your protection so that you don't get off in the wrong direction. How many people have got grandchildren, children, grandchildren that you're kind of concerned about because they haven't taken on Christianity with the desire that you have? I don't think there's, there's a family that is untouched by that. We all struggle with that. I struggle with it in my own family. How do we deal with that? We continue to love them. We continue to show them Christ by the way we live our lives. It's not just a matter of making sure you get to church on Sunday morning. It's not a matter of living a good moral life. Atheists can live good moral lives, can't they? We've got to show people that we're different because Christ has made us different. We are children of God because Christ came to bring us back to his Father. That's the life we need to live. Let's look in chapter 1. There's our first PowerPoint slide, I think. I told you I'm pretty technologically low. John chapter 1, the first five verses. Put my notes aside. I need a wider pulpit here. I need narrower notes, one or the other. In the beginning was the Word. See that capital W? Not just any word, the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, when we go out into the dark, we can take a flashlight and we can overcome the darkness. When you go out into the light, you can't overcome it with darkness. There's no such thing as a dark light that drives out light. It's just, light is who God is. Light is who Christ is. Light is who we need to be. The word here. It's going to refer to it in verse 14 about the word becoming flesh. And dwelling among us. The word is Jesus Christ. If there's any discussion. And you will have people come and knock on your door. And tell you Jesus wasn't the son of God. He was just a prophet. They've, they've translated a Bible in their own image. Because the existing translations didn't match their doctrine. So they translated one that would. And in their Bible that word is a small w. And the God, it says a God instead of was God. So let's not be fooled and have the wool pulled over our eyes, but people who come in and try to sway us away from who God is, who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. Notice the lineage is not like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John doesn't go back to his earthly lineage. He starts off with his heavenly lineage. He was the Father. He was with the Father. He was God. Nothing that happened happened without him. And now, we'll get to verse 14 in a minute. The creation has come to be with us. The creator has become the creation. Talking with my grandson last night, we were talking about concepts that are hard to imagine. Infinity. 
eternity. There's all kinds of things that are hard to imagine because logistically they don't make sense. This makes no sense. That God would send his word, his son, to this earth to fix what we messed up. But that's what he did. That's how much love God has for us. Let's look in the next six, starting in in verse six. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. Now, don't be confused. He's talking about Jesus' cousin. This is John. I wish he was called the Immerser because that's what baptizo translates to. He's not a Baptist. He's a baptizer. John the baptizer. That's the John he's talking about. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John, the gospel writer, is making sure that you understand that John, the baptizer, was sent to fulfill a prophecy about one who was coming to prepare the way. He wasn't the Christ. If you look, in, look further in, and we'll get into some of the chapters, depending on how much time we have left. But I want, I want you to see that John, the gospel, is, he is showing Christ, proclaiming Christ the way that Jesus came and showed and proclaimed himself to be the Son of God. He goes through, and there are examples where he says, where, where he talks about John, and John says, Behold the Lamb of God. There are other people along the way, the woman at the well who says, Come meet a man who knows everything about me. Could this be the Christ, the Messiah? He writes about other people saying who Jesus is. And then when you get deeper into John, you see Jesus confronting the leaders of the Jewish people, both religious and otherwise, and he's saying, I am he. Make no mistake about it. I'm the one who is to come. I am here to clear out my father's temple. What have you done? What kind of a mess have you made here? I am here because you've turned my father's house into a marketplace. Who is this that says that's his father? Jesus says that's his father. Who is this that says that I've come to make clear the paths? That's John who says I'm preparing the way for the one Who will make things right again? I'm not the Christ. In fact, in one place he says, I must decrease so that he can increase. I'm skipping around here in the first couple of chapters of John, but I want you to see that John is a different kind of gospel than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If you take it home and read it with fresh eyes, read it with the the idea that this is a man who wants to present Jesus Christ to you. To you who have never met him, maybe just heard about him, I want you to understand that he is real. He's who he says he is. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, the world was made through him. You can refer back to the first couple of verses there. Yet the world did not know him, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, 
who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. That light, that's who Jesus is. And whenever we participate in things that bring darkness upon that light, we're walking along holding on to Satan's hand and God's hand and figuring we can let go at the right time with the right hand. Satan's okay with that. God is not. Satan's all right if you hold his hand and God's hand as you go through life, seemingly to see how much you can get away with and still get to go to heaven. That's not a relationship that God's interested in. The children of Israel were seemingly on that path. And Jesus said, you tell me that Abraham is your father. You talk to me about Moses, but Abraham and Moses, they knew me. You don't know me. If you knew them, you would know me. He goes so far as to say, you are the children of your father, the devil. That surely didn't win him many points. But hopefully somebody went home and thought about that and maybe examined their life. There are so many lives that Jesus interacted with in the New Testament that I really don't know the story of what happened next. I wish I knew the rest of the, the story, say, with the Ethiopian eunuch. I wish I knew the rest of the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus who came to him, uh, came to him during the night. In John chapter 3, by the way, there's so much more to John chapter 3 than verse 16. The whole world seemingly knows John 3.16. They don't know the rest of the chapter. A man who was a ruler of the Jews, who was one of the Pharisees, came to Jesus and he said, Teacher, and for him to call him teacher was a big deal. Teacher, we know you must be from God because no one could do the things you do unless God sent him. So he's already made up his mind and he needs to find out more about Jesus. I wonder how many other lives that we don't know about in the Bible came to that conclusion and wanted to know more about Jesus. This is where Jesus says, unless a man be born again of water and spirit, we've got to be born again of water and spirit. There are folks that will tell me and tell you that the New Testament baptism is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not water. I don't know why you guys still do that water stuff. Well, if that was true, when Philip went to speak with the eunuch, why did they stop at a body of water and go down into the water and come back out? Because that's part of the equation. Any of you ladies make a recipe and leave something out and the recipe's a disaster? You leave out one ingredient and the recipe doesn't work. Or it works, looks like it works, and then you go to eat it and like, oh, ooh, ooh, what is this? When we want to look to see what the Bible has to say to us, we need to read the whole thing. There is no one single scripture that cancels out other scriptures. Well, it says right here, believe and you'll be saved. So does that cancel out every example of baptism we have? No. By faith. No, that doesn't cancel out baptism. We need to read the entire book if we want to get the entire set of instructions. And if we get through all the entire set of instructions and we're right where we think we need to be, and that's as far as we ever go, 
I'm afraid that we've bought into one saved, always saved. Well, they were baptized when they were 12, and I know that they were taught. They came from a good family, and you cancel out the whole life that you watch them live. I'm glad that I don't get to be the judge. That's God's job. But I worry about some of the people that I've helped to bury because I know the lives that they lived, and they were not godly lives. And I can't imagine that God was pleased with the way they went about their lives. Let's not fall in love with so-and-so gets baptized. We get people to being baptized, and then that's it. They plateau right there. We need to grow from that point. We need to become people that are able to teach other folks. We need to be emissaries. We need to be ambassadors. I want to use the word missionary, but we're missionaries to our own neighborhoods. Are we being those people with our lives? Are we being those people to the folks around us? When I was growing up, one of the expressions that was popular was, you might be the only Bible that so-and-so reads. Your life, the way you do things, the way you, you react to things, might be the only touch that they have with Christianity. What are you showing them with your life? Honestly, I can tell you that times in my life I wasn't showing them anything. And that hurts. You want to be a missionary? I hope you do. Because there's probably somebody living across the street from you. Or somebody that you work with. Or somebody that you go to school with. That can be your mission. You can focus on trying to... I love you. I love this person. They're my friend. They're important to me. So why haven't I made it my job to get them to see and believe in who Jesus is? We need to have a greater sense of urgency for passing the gospel on to the next generation and the people around us. Let's say a news flash came out uh, on the church uh, display board up here that uh, Randy and, and Mike Kessler together had combined to discover a cure for cancer. Wouldn't we want everybody to know that? We have a cure for the sin that infects us, the virus. We were, we were so afraid of the, this COVID virus, and we went through great lengths to continue to try to worship around it. <clears throat> when you've got the virus of sin in your life, you are destined to hell unless things get changed. You and I need to have a sense of urgency to love people around us enough to want to change them. <coughs> Excuse me. My wife said, don't talk too loud, you cough. When Jesus had risen from the grave, when he had come back, and this is in, in John towards the end, and he comes back through the locked doors, and he says, here I am. And everybody's there except for poor Thomas. Because why do we, how do we remember Thomas? We remember him as doubting Thomas. Let's put your hands here. here. The next day, Thomas is there. They're together. Thomas says, I will not believe it. Maybe he was from Missouri, the show me state. And then Jesus comes into the room and Thomas is there and he says, here, Thomas. Jesus already knew what he said. Unless I can put my fingers in, the, in his hands and in his side. 
Jesus walks in, he says, look, here. Thomas falls to his knees and he says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus, his next statement is something that I've sometimes preached as the lost beatitude. You know, the blessed art thou, blessed art thou. He says, blessed art thou, Thomas, who have seen and believed. But more blessed are those who have not seen and believe. That's you and me. When Jesus prays in the garden, one of the groups of people that he prays for is for us. Those who will come to know me in the future. Give them strength, give them wisdom, give them guidance. You don't think Jesus was thinking about you? He's thinking about you right now. He's thinking about your heart. He knows if you're leaning towards him or away from him. Now, there's not a person in here who I could point at and say that person is definitely in a great relationship with God because you can be fooled by anybody. But if you're not in a relationship with God, I would plead to you, please, find your way to Christ. Find your way to God through Him. And if you're not sure how to find your way, there are people here that would just jump through hoops to help you. Because we are all about bringing people to Christ so that they might be in a salvation relationship that we're in. Not sure what the close. Oh, oh, the 14th verse. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father full of grace. Have you seen that glory? Or have you just seen it in parents and grandparents, and you're impressed by it. Get to know Jesus so that his glory shows through you. Get to know Jesus so that you have the aroma of Christ as you go through this world. That people will look to you and they will know without a shadow of a doubt by the way you conduct your business, the way you speak, the way you do everything, that you are a child of God, that you're a Christian. And in doing so, we can change the world. If we keep the secret in this building and don't tell anybody out there, what good is that? Does no good whatsoever. Let's be people who first know that Jesus is the Christ. He's real. In, in 1 John chapter 1, beginning the first four verses, John, the same gospel writer as, as the gospel, the same writer as the gospel. Get my merge mixed up. He says, "I touched him, I felt him, I walked with him, and talked with him." I mean, that's not the King James version, but read it, and that's what he's saying. We were there. He's real, and I want you to believe he's real. Because if you don't believe he's real, then he's just a legend, and he might as well be any other legend. Jesus is no legend. He's legendary, but he's no legend. He's the Son of God. He is who we come here to worship and his Father. He is who we come here and sing songs of praises through. We pray to God through Christ. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're out in the cold. When Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus... He said, and you, he lists off this terrible list of things, sins. 
And he says, you were just like that. But you're different now. Why? What has saved you? Because of Jesus Christ. You're different. When Paul says, wretched man that I am, I, I so identify with this passage. Things I don't want to do, I do. I shouldn't be doing these things, I, kill, I still do them. The things that I want to do, these things I don't do. What an idiot I am, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this? And what's he write his answer to be? I am saved because of Jesus Christ. If you wish to be in a relationship with God, you wish to be in a relationship with Christ, there's no better time than today to start. If there's some way the church here can help you, restore your relationship. There are things that you need prayers for. Let us know because we want to pray for you. I'm not quite sure I'll get another eight years in Cherokee. 25 years is a long time, but I am very grateful for this congregation's involvement with us being there. And I made it through and and didn't faint or anything. Y'all have been great to talk to, but I'm serious. If your relationship with God is not what it should be, there is nothing more important in your life than getting that relationship restored. If there's some way the church can help you, please let us know. We're going to stand and and sing the closing hymn.